This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from, with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. You are listening to the Next Best Picture podcast. And this is our review of RRR. Scott Dwarawar ma Adilabad uchchina pudu. Ochchina pillan dhiskochchan. Meer dhiskochchindi gondla pillan andi. Aite? Valkevna rondu kommal unta ya? పులిని పట్టుకోవాలంటే వేటగాడు కావాలి ఆ పని చేయగలిగేది ఒక్కడే సార్ కన్నా విలువైన నీ సోప తినా సొంతం అన్నా గర్వంతోకి మనలో కలిసిపోతేనే బ్రిటిష్ ప్రభుత్వానికి ఎదురు తిరిగిన నేరానికి నేను అరెస్ట్ చేస్తున్నాను తొక్కుకుంటూ పోవాలి ఎదురొచ్చినోడిని ఏసుకుంటూ పోవాలి చాలా ప్రమాదం ప్రాణాలు పోతాయిరా ఆనందంగా ఇచ్చేస్తాను బాబాయ్ వెతుక్కుంటూ ఆయుధాలు వాటంతటవే వస్తాయి ఈ నక్కల వేట ఎంతసేపు కుంభస్థలాన్ని బద్దల కొడతాం పదా listening to the trailer for RRR and the story is as follows 
A tale of two legendary revolutionaries and their journey far away from home. After their journey, they return home to start fighting back against British colonists in the 1920s. The film is starring N.T. Rama Rayo Jr., Ram Charan, Allison Duty, Ray Stevenson, and Olivia Morris. It is written and directed by S.S. Rajamuli, and here to join me today for this podcast review, I have Nicole Ackman. Hello, everyone. Dan Baer. Do you know not to? <laughs> You're making me want to like compulsively like just start dancing now. God damn you. <laughs> <laughs> we also have Tom O'Brien. Hi, everybody. And joining us as a guest here on the podcast for the first time, you can check him out on Twitter and also on YouTube at this name, Sharia Chavla. <laughs> Thanks for having me, guys. Yeah, no, we're very, very thankful to have you here. And also, too, just really, really excited to be talking about this movie in general because, oh my gosh, this has been such an organic thing to happen over the last couple of weeks where this film... Uh, this Indian Telugu uh, language epic from S.S. Rajamuli really crossed over in the U.S. in a major way. A couple of weeks ago on the podcast, Josh Parham was the first person to say that he had seen it just by venturing in into his local cinema, talked about it on the podcast. Next thing I know, I've got everybody on social media asking me, have you seen this? Are you going to see it? When are you seeing it? And then finally, it got a re-release in theaters, plus it was streaming on Netflix. Now, the Hindi uh, version is what is currently on Netflix, and it's a dub. So I really did want to watch this in a cinema to hear the original language. And then also, too, just to get that big theatrical experience. So myself, Dan Baer, we ventured out to the cinema. We saw it, had a great time, reacted to it on social media. I thought that would be the end of it. Nicole Ackman wrote a review. All well and good. You know, we figured our hands were clean of this movie. We did our part. Nope. (laughs) Didn't stop there. Everybody then was asking, are you going to review this on the podcast? Are you going to review this on the podcast? You need to review this on the podcast. Well, guess what? Here we are reviewing RRR here on the Next Best Picture podcast. And I'm so excited to talk about this because, and Dan can definitely testify to this, when we walked out of the theater having seen this together, I kept saying, oh, my God, that was like one of the best in theater experiences I've had since. And then I would pause and then Dan would look at me and go, Top Gun Maverick, you mean like two weeks ago? And I'd be like, yep, I'd be like, well, yes. But like at the same time, that shouldn't diminish what an awesome experience this was to watch in the theater. And for those that didn't catch in the theater and are watching it at Netflix at home, the reaction is still pretty similar. This is a very over the top, epic, action filled movie with dancing, musical numbers, gore, violence, bromance. It has everything you could want in cinema today. Now, it happens to come overseas in an industry that, you know, for American audiences is still very unfamiliar. Uh, I know for many people, this might even be their first ever uh, Telugu language film that they might ever see coming from India. So it's a good movie to start off with and then maybe explore a little bit more here. Uh, but I want to first start off in terms of just general thoughts on the movie before we get into more detail. Um, our guest here, Sharia, ultimately, like, what has been your experience with this particular movie? And what can you tell us about why you think this film is having the crossover appeal with American audiences as it is? Well, I think, uh, first of all, let me just say the movie is outstanding. I, I personally really loved it. I got a chance to see it um, in IMAX back in March, which was really, really great. And um, unfortunately, that was a dubbed version. It was the Hindi version. They only showed that in IMAX, which was a shame. Uh, got to see the original later. 
I think what happened here is uh, so. So I ran this back with a few people, especially who had grown up with Indian cinema, like whether it be Bollywood or Tollywood in general. And I asked them, like, when was the last time you saw a major blockbuster like this, especially from India? And you thought that has to be seen immediately. And there are a lot of great things that have been going on in Indian cinema over the last few years, like especially when it comes to smaller indie movies. Lots of actors have been doing some more character driven stuff. But it's been a while since I can think of which is like, you know, a, a major big scale epic like this came out at least a few years. I think I think the last one was Rajamali's last movie, which was the two parter uh, Balbali movie. And uh, I think what happened is that you're able to see this the scale of what of what Indian cinema can actually do, what it can accomplish right now. This is a very old industry. Like, it's been around for a long, long time. So I feel like the international appeal, which I've been waiting for to see for years, especially more from from India. I think what's happening is you're getting to see the full scope and range of it. You're getting a character piece, and you're getting a, a big awesome experience in terms of seeing some you know wild visuals and all that and i feel like all of that came together and creating an appeal uh, across the globe and it's great to see it happen i do concur i do think that there is something right now about audiences craving spectacle that is worthy of the big screen no matter where it's coming from and i think this movie delivers on that front i do have some other elements i do want to get into if this as to why i think this movie works as well as it does uh but nicole i want to uh kick it over to you next actually and just hear about what was your experience uh watching this movie how did you come across it and ultimately what did you think so i came across this movie uh, when you asked me to write a review of well, it. Well, yeah, I, I guess I already knew that. <laughs> <laughs> no, but truly, I, like, other than having heard Josh mention it, I really hadn't heard much about it at all. So I watched it on Netflix. Uh, and I did think it's it's a really cool movie. I think it's um, it's something, like, quite different than anything that I've seen in a while. And it's sort of just... I don't want to say over the top because it's not like over the top, but it is just doing the most in every way possible. I do have a few issues with it. And I really do think that it feels like everyone that I know who's seen it in a theater has liked it more than I have. And I think that might be part of it that like, I do think it's the type of film that you benefit from seeing in an actual theater. But I still think even if you are watching on Netflix, it it still is a really fun viewing experience. All right. Tom O'Brien, we're up to you, sir. Well, Matt, the uh, first, my first encounter with it was, yes, I remember it when Josh had mentioned it, but I specifically remember we had a listener poll about uh, favorite films of the first half of the year, and our listeners wrote RRR in and placed it number six, and I don't ever remember a write-in placing in the top. No, write-ins don't normally do that well. And I thought to myself, my God, if our listeners are this enthusiastic about a film, I got to put this on my radar. And uh, unfortunately, I was not able to see it in a theater, the nearest theater from where I am that was showing it last Wednesday night was about two and a half hours away. So that was probably a no go for a weeknight. But nonetheless, I caught the Netflix version. And uh, very often I mentioned that a film is a jaw dropper, but my jaw was dropped (laughs) three hours and I think something that Sharia had mentioned, 
was the scope of it. It just is on such a scale that I, I can't remember in recent memory. Uh, and I was also struck by the humor in it. Uh, it is very aware of what it's doing. I mean, this is this is a movie where the phrase too much is not in this film's lexicon. No, <laughs> no, God, no. <laughs> I actually like uh, overheard somebody saying on social media of the day. I don't remember who it was uh, exactly, but they were like equating this to uh, how Rajamouli is like their version of James Cameron. And this is like the most expensive uh, film to come out of India, I think, ever. So if you want to like kind of equate it on that level uh, to American audiences, you think whenever we put out a movie of that size, whether it's an Avengers or an Avatar, it also has that worldwide appeal. So the same, I guess, is true for any other industry, uh, film industry out there. You know, if they make the most expensive movie <laughs> that they've ever produced and they get it out there to an audience, it's going to have that broad support at the end of the day. Yeah. And in short, probably I'd say that, uh, and I mean this in the very best possible way, in its own bombastic way, our, 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 for me at least, was deliriously entertaining. Yeah, I definitely agree with that too. I, I understand both, like, if, it, if the over-the-top nature of this movie is not your cup of tea, then you're probably going to check out of it very early and you're never going to, you know, get back on, I imagine. But I do think that the fact that it is consistently over the top the whole way through and really commits to it, I think that is ultimately what makes it work in the end versus if only a couple of scenes were delivered in that way. Uh, but we can talk more about tonal balance in a little bit here. I want to hear next from Dan Bear. Dan, what did you ultimately think of this movie, even though kind of like Nicole, I already know the answer. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you got to see my reaction firsthand at the IFC Center just a few days ago. I look, if there is one thing that 2020 taught me is that we love a three hour movie that drops the opening credits and title card 40 minutes in. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I like Tom. This was like sort of barely on my radar, mostly because Josh Parham mentioning it on the show and then the listeners um, writing it in for their favorite movie of the first half of the year. And I have always been a big fan of Bollywood movies, although I haven't seen many Tollywood movies, which is part of the Indian film industry that this movie comes from. Um, but it ha has many of the same characteristics, just big, bombastic filmmaking that just is totally gopher broke and throws everything at you. And, you know, the <laughs> the default setting is a three hour long musical, which will always get my butt into a theater seat. But I had so much fun with this because. Like you were saying, like this, everything about this movie, the director, the writers, the performers, the everyone involved knew exactly what they were doing, especially in terms of the tone. And yes, it is way too much, but it knows it is too much and it fully embraces the 
cheesiness and in some cases stupidity of what is going on and just is so drunk on cinematic excess in a way that I I can only love and admire. I was uh, joking with Dan Bear uh, when we saw this together, like during the one of, I want to say, many emphasis on many, all capitals, bold, underline, slow motion shots in this movie. I like turned to Dan and I said, Zack Snyder could never. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, and that's the thing, like, I American blockbusters could never. I mean, this in American dollars, this film had a budget of less than a hundred million, and like everyone in Hollywood should be put on notice because it looks so much better. Well, I'm gonna push back on that just ever so slightly because I do think it does have some shaky yeah. visual effects and green screen work at times. Like not all the way through, but it looks so much more expensive than, you know, 70-something million. Sure. They shoot this in very ultra-crisp, you know, high definition with a lot of high-key lighting, so you get a lot of detail, a lot of vivid colors, and it also really makes those uh, slow-motion sequences pop. But, I mean, you know, forget about the visuals and everything else that we're talking about here with the production budget, the size, the bombastic filmmaking. The movie wouldn't work if the story wasn't there. And it is absolutely there. <laughs> and I find this story to be very fascinating because it is <laughs> almost like in a Quentin Tarantino-esque way, like a what-if history storyline, mm -hmm. where ultimately it's about these two real-life Indian revolutionaries set in the 1920s, and it's about this undocumented time that Rajamuli basically decided, well, what if these two actually met up? during this time and what would happen and it plays out as a fantasy and that i think does help with the over-the-top filmmaking is that you're not supposed to view it in a context of okay this is like actually what really happened so it plays pretty loose with the facts here i would not consider this to be on the highest level of historical accuracy of a movie uh but in terms of entertainment i think it delivers in the same way of a um, uh, of a fantasy, you know, and not a revenge fantasy like Tarantino, but like in that same caliber of giving audiences what they want in terms of cinematic spectacle. Yeah, and the thing that I kept coming back to is like, these are, while they were real people, they were also basically folk heroes, or at least one of them was. And the whole thing has that sort of like, gather around children and listen to my tale of two of our, you know, nation's greatest heroes. I mean, some of the songs present themselves like that, too. Yeah. 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 And it, it totally works. I don't know that I was ever emotionally moved by it, but I had so much fun with, with it that I did not really care. Sharia, in terms of like the historical accuracy and what this movie is uh, based on in terms of like Indian history, is that something that like bothers you that the movie is not like considered totally accurate and it plays loose with the facts or is it just like you don't really care? 
I don't think anybody who I watched this movie with cared. So no. <laughs> <laughs> I, like, like I said, and, and and like it's been brought up several times, it's like the idea of like a spectacle movie in these times. And I think at that point, people were just in for the ride. I feel like it's one of those things where if people went into the historical accuracy later, they'd be like, oh, that's 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 cool, I guess. OK, but it 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 really never came up. No. I almost like I almost consider it to be like one of those uh, fantasy spinoffs uh, where I don't know we 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 have a tendency to do this over here in, in American like cinema where we'll take like something of a period piece or whatever and we'll like inject vampires into it or aliens or something <laughs> like that something to kind of like just bend genres a little bit you know um, and here it's action it's musical and it's done in such a manner where. You would think that it would be distracting, like I was uh, getting at before from the story. Dan, you say you're not moved necessarily, but it's like emotionally. I, I do agree with you. Like I was never like on the verge of tears necessarily. But there's like one particular sequence in this film, and it's one of the many musical uh, numbers where the film dedicates a whole like five to six minutes showing in montage form how Beam and uh, Rom ultimately become friends. And it's just like this montage of them like doing activities together, smiling, high-fiving, squatting with another one on his shoulders. I, you know, the casual stuff that friends do. You know, this is a bromance for the ages. <laughs> and I and a bromance in like the truest sense of that word and that they are in love with each other platonically. Yes. And... I think that is beautiful. I love that Indian cinema lets its male stars be um, sexualized. And vulnerable. And also be vulnerable in a way that um, stars in Western cinema are not always both of those at the same time. Like these are like, these are two very masculine guys uh, mm. in terms of their physicality, just their overall sheer muscle mass. <laughs> Everything about them just screams testosterone. But then they have these scenes together where they're weeping in each other's arms. Yeah. <laughs> no, and it's beautiful. It really is. Like that is a full portrait of masculinity and even in uh the contrast of these, you know, two people, one who describes himself as a tribal and he's from the country, doesn't speak English, whereas this other um man who has very much assimilated himself into the Western culture of the British Raj. Um, the, there are many different ways to be a man, and this film gets on a lot of that, I think, in, in yeah, interesting ways. That that bromance montage really did a lot, I think, to invest us in the audience in really wanting to have this friendship work. Mm -hmm. So that it, when it uh, events happen in the film that put it to the test, we just want to, oh, come on, get through this, get through this. He doesn't really mean it. Go ahead. And it, it really brought me into the film that, in a way that I never expected it would in terms of wanting this these two characters to stay together. And that's the thing, too, about, like, the friendship montage is that the lyrics to the song that is playing is literally telling the audience 
two men from opposite sides. Mm-hmm. What will happen when they eventually un- uncover each other's identities and clash? So the film is essentially telling you what is going to happen. And I don't know if this is so much a good thing or a bad thing. I, I-, I do want to hear if you all feel critical about this or not. But this movie is very straightforward and extremely simple when you really break it down. And nothing of real surprise in terms of the structure of the story. Like, nothing ever came out of nowhere that subverted my expectations. Like, it played out exactly as I expected. However, the manner in which it does so, this over-the-top, exaggerated style, that is ultimately what kept me entertained. I didn't need there to be a big twist in the plot or a big reveal or a double cross or anything like that to keep me invested. I actually think there's a lot going on in this movie. Oh, there is. There is a reason (laughs) that it lasts as long as it does. And that's Mm -hmm. because there are about 40,000 different plot lines and like 4 billion characters. I mean, not really, but there's a lot happening, particularly with like you get these flashbacks and there's sort of two love stories going on in addition to the main love story. And I I felt like actually it was one of those films that felt like with the amount of plot that it was trying to do to leave room for some of these like sequences, obviously it justified being its length because there was so much that it was doing. Yeah, no, I appreciated that. One, One thing I do appreciate about this movie greatly is that each one of the two leads gets clear motivation for why they're doing what they're doing, what their goals are in this movie. And what I love especially about Rom, I'm not going to get into it uh, necessarily here for the sake of spoilers, but his motivation is super clear in the beginning when his story is introduced with this sequence where he has to jump into this crowd of thousands and retrieve this one man. And we're wondering, what is driving this guy? What is making him go through all this physical abuse and dishing it out in a manner that he's just like superhuman and then we realize oh he actually wants to get a promotion he wants to rise up the british ranks and so when he's given this uh mission to track down this unknown as they call him like a like a a shepherd if you will who is coming to uh rescue uh the kidnapped girl uh mally eventually another reason for his motivation is revealed as to why he's doing what he's doing. And I thought that was really brilliantly well done. Beam's motivation never changes throughout the movie, but I think because he is probably the more uh, sensitive and emotional of the two leads in this, his relationship with Rom uh, is the one that I think undergoes more of a change for him and gives him more to do uh, as a dramatic actor, if you will, in their scenes together. So, like, they both undergo some changes in this, but I really did appreciate Rom's uh, backstory. There was a huge section of the second half of this film dedicated to that in flashback. I was so glad that they opened the second half with that because when we... I remember getting to the end of the first part of the movie and feeling like, okay, there has be like when is the other shoe going to drop with this guy Mm -hmm. because he's not going like i don't know the history 
but there is no way he is actually like on the side of the British in this thing. (laughs) (laughs) Like, yeah, you knew there had to be something else there to it. Otherwise he would have just been painted as a two dimensional villain almost. I mean, he had the mustache that he could have twirled if he wanted to, but it was very, it was clear that that was not what was happening here. But I love that it did not even go into that until the second half of the movie. And I do think that like, I, I I was glad for the interval, but also I would have happily sat in that theater for another three hours. (laughs) I got to point that out, by the way, those of you who watched it at home on Netflix, there's no intermission for this. It just plays straight through, at least as far as I know. There, there's an there's a moment where the story stops and there is an image that would indicate it would be the interval, yes. which it turns out to be. Yeah. And then the story starts again from scratch. So it feels like an interval, um, even though the, the the word doesn't appear. But you can still go out and get, uh, you know, another beer if you want. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what I liked about the the storyline is how clean the through line was of the narrative that one incident led to the next to the next to the next and yes there were flashbacks along the way but all of all of those flashbacks were leading towards the continued motion forward of the narrative and that i really appreciate because that was something to hang on to with all of the visuals and if you want to hold on to the story which i did the film provides that for you i think another thing i also really appreciate about the storytelling is in this is the contrast that the movie makes between the two men not just in terms of one representing water and one representing fire, right? Because that's obvious. <laughs> but there are other things that this movie does uh, throughout where it shows both their compatibility as friends and also to just showcasing uh, how opposite they are. But if you put those two opposites together, they work so well, whether that's defeating a horde of enemies or competing in a dance-off at a party sequence. Whatever the case might be, I just really liked that this movie had two very distinct personalities for these two characters, and they both balance each other out in terms of, you know, like, so, for example, uh, Beam really wants to hit it off with this, I don't even know what she is, essentially, what is she, like, uh, the governor's daughter, right? Or something along those lines? Niece? Is that what it is? Okay. Yeah. She calls him her uncle, I think. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. And so he's not really a ladies' man. Hell, he can't even speak English. He doesn't even understand English, but Rom does. So Rom's helping his buddy out in those sequences together. So cute. And I just really, really love the like playfulness of their interactions together during those moments, even though, you know, Nicole, you brought up before there's like a lot of plot lines in this movie. That's like one particular plot line, like this like sub romance uh, between Beam and this other character that it went absolutely nowhere and it has like no resolution. Uh, And it's like one of those things I I think I could have just done without in the movie where I thought Rom's uh, storyline with his love interest, um, her name's going to come to me, Sita. I think it is. Yes. Uh, That was actually really beautifully well done, in my opinion. I I do think that. Beam's romance with um whatever her name Jenny. was. Jenny. 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 Or 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 as he says 
<laughs> At one point, oh, yeah. don't call me madam. It is Jenny, yes? <laughs> that was really fun. That was a really good joke um, in the movie. But I thought that romance was very underbaked. Extremely. On the level of the screenplay, not helped by, and this is, I, I find this to be generally a problem with some, with a lot of Bollywood movies, but it seems to be um, even more of an issue in this movie than I have ever seen elsewhere, where the English actors are not quite up to the level of the Indian actors. Oh, no, no. I'm going to co-sign with you on that and just come right out and say, I think they are writing and their acting is pretty horrendous. Yeah, and which is what makes it even more fascinating that I, when I was looking up this movie after I saw it, I learned that um, Daisy Edgar Jones was originally cast in that part. Oh, wow. Oh, no. (laughs) But here's the thing, though, like, for Governor Scott and for his, I guess, wife, uh, played by Allison Duty in this, like, it, it, it kind of works because they're so bad that you yeah. hate them and <laughs> it works in their favor because you're supposed to hate them. A little, but when they're trying to um, give any depth to a character as they were really trying to do with Jenny, um, it, it doesn't quite work. They're deliberately in that way because they wanted to create something that was more um, more one-dimensional. Like, hey, this, you're supposed to hate them. So went for every single thing, especially during the... Um, there's a scene in the second half where they really amp it up, I would say. Oh, where she's like yeah. demanding to see more blood. Yeah. 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 It just at a certain point, I just rolled with it. That was like kind of like what I said to Dan at one point during the movie. Like I just and Josh said this to us, too, to kind of prepare us. Like at a certain point in the movie, you just kind of surrender yourself over to it. Yeah. And you give in to the cheesiness and how eye rolling it can be, because Mm -hmm. as you were saying before, Tom, hopefully you're so bought into the central bromance of these two characters that everything else can be forgiven because that's what really matters in the end. That's true. No, I have to say when I saw that it was Ray Stevenson showing up, I said, okay, this is bad. And, uh, and it's like, oh, I hope he dies a death. That's really painful. (laughs) Well, I mean, the thing is, is that as almost cartoonishly evil as Ray Stevenson and the, actress thing his wife were uh the british raj was they weren't nice people no in in any any way shape or form and i know nicole has more to say on this than i do (laughs) (laughs) yeah i do think that they are going for a like cartoonishly evil sort of Thing. Like, it feels to me, I realized later on in it, that it's not that, particularly, you know, Governor Scott and his wife, it's not that they're bad actors, I think. It's that they are going for that sort of mustache-twirlingly bad villain. Do you think that's, like, an attempt to just rob them of any power and rob them of any kind of... Um... Yeah, because I think it, it feels kind of like... Um, what they were doing is so horrible that why should we consider them as 
you know, sort of three-dimensional human beings. Yeah. Um, instead, just let them be this sort bring... of caricature. And I think it, it works, honestly, because we have so much going on that is, like, pure spectacle that it sort of feels almost, um, like, pantomime villain-y uh, in a way that... that if if the rest of the movie weren't so over the top, I would be like, what is happening here? Why are they <laughs> doing that? But I think it actually sort of makes sense. And it feels almost like I would compare it to something like a pantomime or like a ballet villain or something where it is very like, here is our one dimensional villain who is so bad that they don't they don't get to have any character development. And that's like the British were really horrible, largely in that time period. So I have no problems with that. Happy Jubilee. (laughs) (laughs) No, I was actually going to build off of that because that's exactly it. It's like the historical context of it is terrible. So it makes sense that, you know, the way you're portraying that, it's like, why would you want to try and do something which is a little different when the actuality is, in fact, the movie is probably still scraping the surface on just how how brutal it got. So I, I feel like the the characterization and the, the the portrayal works a little bit, and they came close to a few twirling moments. It cut to a smirk of him every now and then. Was, oh, there, close, close. Yeah, no, like I was saying earlier, I think that the reason why it ultimately works is because the film is just so consistent in what it is uh, attempting to pull off here. And it sticks with that all the way through to the end. It never, ever changes. And so I got to give it points for sticking to its plan and just seeing it through like that. Because, you know, normally when there's an antagonist in a movie, I usually like them to be fleshed out. Not saying I need to have sympathy for them, but I do like an interesting villain. That's all. I, I like having villains that I love to hate versus villains where I'm just like, kind of put off and annoyed by and that's what this movie for me like it almost teetered into that territory multiple times uh to the point that every time one of them came on screen i was just like get him out of here i don't want to see them (laughs) (laughs) but i will say though that in terms of the acting from uh both anti rama uh and also ram uh sharan i thought they both did a really fantastic job here because it isn't really just the central uh i keep wanting to say romance bromance friendship whatever you want to call it heterosexual embracing those two do together (laughs) um it isn't just that it's also these extremely physical fight sequences these choreograph the choreography involved in some of them just was absolutely mind-blowing to me um the level of flexibility that they have to have, the agility, the the ability to do these dance sequences, whether the uh, speed of the frame rate is sped up or not, doesn't really matter. Because there are times when I'm watching this, I'm saying to myself, okay, this is definitely edited at like a slightly faster pace. Like it's sped up, you can tell, to kind of give it more of that energetic, propulsive momentum to its like movement. But it didn't really matter. They still have to pull it off. And my God, I was just like in awe of their physical ability. If there's one advantage to seeing it on Netflix, you can watch that dance off scene over and over again just to see how elaborate some of that choreography is and how 
how much they mm-hmm. throw themselves into it. The dancing is so freaking good. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god. I the the there's a reason I quoted the Nachu Nachu number at the top of this podcast because like that for me it, it it's it's not my favorite moment in the whole thing, but God, I was just living for every single second of that dance number the choreography was so intricate and clever and fun and i it reminded me of like all everything that i have um missed about bollywood movies for a while now because it's been a while since i've seen one in a cinema and like the audience that was the best thing about watching it in the theater honestly was hearing the audience applaud and cheer at moments like that i think for me my favorite like holy shit moment where my jaw just hit the floor and I had the biggest smile on my face was the moment with the animals. Yep. Uh-huh. That's easily mine. <laughs> I, I couldn't believe what I was seeing in that moment. But I, I at that point I was like, what else does this movie like have in store for me? Now, I will say this. I do think that the climactic final final sequence in this movie is it, it's not as big as that moment for me. Like it, it does feel almost like the film peaks as it gets to its second half and then it slows down and then it ratchets it back up the, uh, the action again and like the back uh, half of the film, but it never feels like it ever got to that height ever again. I, I will say that on a character level though, you know, it did. Because obviously by that point, the character arc, especially for Rom, is complete and it's so goddamn satisfying. But just in terms of sheer action spectacle, uh, that sequence with the animals just blew my mind. Yeah, the I'll say the act one finale, uh, to use musical terminology, is so insane and over the top and so well put together and well done that I it would be very hard to follow that up for the actual finale. And uh, was I a little disappointed that the finale didn't quite live up to that level of uh, insanity or bombasticness? Um, Actually, not really. (laughs) (laughs) Because it it was still so much fun and so unique. I don't think I've seen anything like it. And did enough character work that that made up for whatever um, other kind of showmanship may have been lacking, but only lacking in comparison to what has come before in this movie. That climax is still so much more exciting than almost any other movie I can think of. I mean, I joked earlier about, doing squats with your buddy on your shoulders. The fact that that actually plays a role again later in the movie, just mwah, chef's kiss. <laughs> they they brought back so many elements from across the, what, like two and a half hours before that to that last action sequence that I was genuinely impressed. And that's what I mean when I say like that, that scene works, maybe not in terms of just sheer size and spectacle, but like on a character level, Excellent. So well done. Yeah, you have Beam attacking from the water. You have Ram embracing his roots, becoming this legendary folk uh, folk hero, as was mentioned earlier, and using fire. It's just 
it, it, it all just comes together so neatly that you can't help but have a smile on your face when you're watching it all unfold. And, and I think that going back to what is something I was saying earlier about like how this movie didn't really subvert my expectations, I think I would have been a little pissed off if this movie did try to do something where it pulled the rug from out underneath me. Like, I was in such a state of bliss while watching this movie, and I was so pleasantly surprised and pleased and just in awe of some of the visuals that I think now upon, you know, reflecting about it a bit, I think if this movie had taken a cheap shot at its audience or tried to pull one over us, I I think it would have just broken the illusion for me, actually. I think that's what happens when you commit fully, when you know what you're making, when everybody knows what they're making. You don't have to worry so much about trying to subvert or do something different. Then you've got the audience. You've got the people watching. Yeah. And you've got their attention. So after a while, you just have to trust the fact that what you're doing is connecting. So when it's And, and that happened. So by that point in time, it, it works. It all, even if it feels like, all right, it's, leading up to a big like happy ending or whatever like it came together so yeah that's just not to mention like you know even during what should be for this movie the most gruesome oh my god i can't watch this scene and it's a it's a torture scene it's actually like not as bad as like your mind probably makes it out to be i think and part of that too is uh (laughs) There is another musical number that takes place like during that sequence. And while at first you might think, oh, this is really starting to become too cheesy now, they actually use it as a plot point to drive the story forward. It feels very Jesus Christ Superstar. <laughs> it is very Jesus Christ Superstar and oh my God. In like the best possible way. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I, I did uh, ask myself like during that sequence, um, you know, for a movie that had a, up until that point, you know, its fair share of violence and brutality. I was a little surprised that that character kept his shirt on during that entire scene, because I <laughs> kept wondering, you know, considering how brutal the British uh, were during this time period, that something about that just didn't ring true to me in terms of I don't think they would have let that happen. <laughs> the shirt was the part where it got too much for you. Hey, listen, listen. There were multiple moments in this movie, for sure. All right, I'm just pointing one of them out. Okay. <laughs> I will say that as an audience member, I was kind of glad that they kept the shirt on just because I worry that without that, it really would have been too too bloody. We would have gone from Jesus Christ Superstar to Passion of the Christ. Yeah, in a bad way. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so m- my next question is, you know, just in talking about these musical numbers, I know we talked about the dance sequence, the friendship sequence. Um, they're not like the traditional musical numbers. Sometimes it's just a song that's playing like over montage. Uh, but what did you all think of the end credits sequence? Well, it's wonderful when the director shows up to perform. (laughs) Anytime that happens, we love it. Exactly. (laughs) The British were dancing. It was amazing. I thought it was unbelievable. I mean, I was already blown away by the editing, the choreography, the shot selection, and the commitment of the actors to physically pull off these dancing sequences. And I knew that the end credits would have one because, you know, this is the type of movie where it's like, all right, like, I know it's coming. But I don't think I was I don't think I was fully prepared for how stunning 
that would still be. Even after all the story and the culmination of everything that these two characters had gone through and overthrowing the British Empire and rewriting history, <laughs> I, I was still kind of amazed that this final dance uh, musical number during the credits was able to top all of that and send me out of the theater on what I can only describe as like the biggest possible cinematic high that one can experience. Just on a visual level, the colors in it mm -hmm. were just mm. stunning. And as you jump from one person singing to another person singing, and you know you have this switcheroo of bright, bright color, it just perks you up. And it, that coming after all of this you know, suffering and violence going on, and the two guys are up there with a big smile on their face, and then joined by. Uh, by Gia, uh, it was just wonderful. And I loved that they made that final number sort of a tribute to these different other revolutionary heroes of um, Indian history. That was really that was cool. Really, yeah. Yeah. I didn't know who they were, but I did notice that uh, uh, when Sita was singing, it was all the women from history, which mm -hmm. I really mm -hmm. Yeah. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. I'm Allison Holland, host of the Kennedy Dynasty podcast. Equipped with a microphone and a long-term fascination of the Kennedy family, I am joined by an incredible cast of experts, friends, and guests to take you on a fun, relaxed, yet informative journey through history and pop culture. From book references to fashion to philanthropy to our modern expectations of the presidency itself, you'll see that there is so much more to Kennedy than just JFK or conspiracy theories. Join me for the Kennedy Dynasty podcast. So let me ask you all this question. What is your favorite action sequence in the movie? And what is your favorite musical number? Oh, Lord. Um, the last one? I want to say the last one, actually. The um, last the last action sequence or the last musical number? The last the action sequence. But I, I just think it was the culmination of everything you wanted out of a big, crazy movie like this. I mean, when you have a character that's wielding a flaming motorcycle with his bare hands, I mean. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Dude, that's right there, man. <laughs> I think for action sequence, I got to go with uh, the fire Rom's introductory uh, scene because I, I really was not prepared for what this movie had to offer me. And that be and granted, it is the not the opening scene of the movie, but the opening action sequence. And it just put me right in the middle of the style, the acrobatic work the choreography also too the fact that like he's like flying through the air at times so we're defying gravity so i know those rules are set up pretty early on uh and just the sheer overall just madness of it all uh was just a, a, a pure adrenaline rush i do think that there are other moments in the movie that did match it but that's the one that sticks out to me the most just because it set the tone for everything else that was to come yeah, that everything before the opening credits in this is just like pure bliss. 
from just how much it is going for it. And it's like, get on our wavelength or be left behind. Mm-hmm. And I think that my favorite action sequence, although I do love that act one finale and especially the moment with the animals, but mine is actually Beheem's introduction. Oh, the tiger? With the tiger and he, him literally like standing in between these two giant trees, holding them with uh, holding these ropes to make sure that they don't fall down like he's lit, like he's Samson. Yep. I was just like, let me let me just flex here while I try to connect F- these two. that's my favorite as well actually i was like that is how you introduce a character yes (laughs) my my favorite thing about those two introductory scenes is actually that it displays how beam is the stronger of the two where rom has uh i don't know what i would describe it as but just like drive yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. The, like, and that drive will push him to do just absolutely <laughs> superhero-like things at times. To the point that when your stinger at the end of a scene is a character saying about you, he scares me more. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> you have just, you have instantly communicated to your audience what type of character this is. I don't need anything more at that point. Like, I, I know exactly who that man is other than, obviously, you know, his other reasons for motivation. But I know what type of I know what type of person he is. Yeah, that was beautiful. And my other favorite moment in um, in Behem's introduction is <laughs> they're initially trying to capture a wolf. Yes. And then yes. he spots the tiger like in the bushes and there is a moment when the tiger like he starts going at the wolf and then is like no i'll get to you later right now i have to deal with this human (laughs) (laughs) that is i I laughed i laughed i clapped my hands with glee i it was so much fun it it really set the table of what was um and for uh musical sequence Natu Natu is the best. I feel like this is a resounding right? Like one. Yeah, yeah that's it. <laughs> yep. yep, there it is. It specifically, I the moment where it became like one of my favorite number dance numbers of all time was when they started dancing with their suspenders. Oh yeah. I was just uh-huh. thinking that. <laughs> I was like, yes. That's where it escalates. We <laughs> yeah. love good costume prop work yeah. <laughs> I also don't... just the whole premise of that number in which <laughs> Ram is like let's show these white boys how to dance <laughs> and the ladies are like wow it's just incredible <laughs> yeah. and I think like the thing that sells that scene for me at the end going back to just like these sequences existing due to uh, character and how they push the story forward I love I sincerely love that Beam is actually getting exhausted and he's about to lose to dance off to Rom and Rom lets him win so that he can impress Jenny. I love that. I love that so freaking much. It is so yeah. beautiful. Oh, their friendship. Oh. Yes. <laughs> it, 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 it must be preserved. It must be cherished at all costs. 
<laughs> even though even though we have a song earlier in the movie that tells us that they are going to collide at some point. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, what I want to do here is I want to get over to uh, final thoughts on this movie. And for a three hour film, there are definitely a lot of details to point out, I'm sure. So, uh, Sharia, we'll come over to you first. Uh, are there any final thoughts or anything you want to reiterate about RRR? Everything that we've just said so far, I don't know if you noticed, but a lot of these sound like things that would end a movie, like all the scenes that we've talked about. You know, like normally when you watch a big movie, it's like, this is the final one. This is going to be the last scene. Okay, this is going to be the last scene. Mm -hmm. I haven't felt this way since Fury Road, because when you start off with that movie in the first 20 minutes, you have that big sandstorm scene and everything. And you think, well, this is usually where a big movie ends or something like this, a big set piece. But this one starts off with a big stampede crowd trying to get one guy trying to get someone in a crowd. That's usually something like an ending. And it's a credit to the editing of this movie, too, that it doesn't actually wear its audience out. I've seen so many movies that go that hard early on. And at a certain point, you're exhausted. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, this never loses you. And um, I got to see this again with the family and they, no. No breaks, no nothing. They're, they're in it through and through. So impressive credit to the movie on keeping you locked in for three hours throughout. You don't even feel it, by the way, by the time it's over. never feels like three hours. <laughs> I totally agree. I, I completely agree as well. Like, there are slow three-hour movies, and then there are fast three-hour movies. And, I mean... I think there's also a novelty to your first-time viewing experience of this film where I do wonder on second third viewings like i i do wonder how it would hold up because on that first viewing there's the surprise factor right and i'm sure what will probably get me through any of reviewings in the future because i do plan on watching this again i i plan on showing this to a lot of people might i add oh yes (laughs) i think what will always get me through it is going to be the characters and their central relationship that is a bromance that i feel I feel it very deep within my heart, and it's a feeling that I want to experience uh, again and again. And I think that's what would ultimately keep me coming back. I do plan on, like I said, showing this to, a, like you said, showing this to a to a lot of people. And I'm glad that a lot of people, uh, based on recommendations that you know have been coming in, have been watching this movie. Um, and I'm hoping more people check it out. I mean, it's a nice gateway. I saw some people say this is their first major Indian cinema movie, and if that is true, that's great. It's a great gateway to what else it has to offer so hopefully more people come along for the ride yeah i saw uh i saw this happen twice this past week i saw people complaining if you can believe that that stranger things season four was people's introduction to kate bush and that rrr was people's introduction to indian cinema who cares if it's the first I understand there's a lot of great stuff beforehand, but it's like, why are you complaining about that? Be glad that it's going to open up the doors for more. You know, I, I find that so weird when people complain about that exactly, sort of thing. Exactly, like you're getting to experience this. Like, what, like, what, like, what are you really upset about? You know. Mm-hmm. And in fact, um, there was a, another parallel I made is a few people I, I know. Uh, this is this is going to sound sad in retrospect, but bear with me here. Uh, they were introduced to. Uh, Led Zeppelin thanks to Thor Agnarok because of the immigrant song mm. and I thought well that's crazy but also at the same time my as little long sister as is one of them <laughs> oh there you go So, but yeah. I'm glad at least you know there was an introduction and now if you like that you can listen to more music and you'll find out that they're amazing so, that's a really good yeah. exactly. the ends justify the means 
in the end. Mm-hmm. Yep. That's really what it comes down to. That and also more people should see the girl with the dragon tattoo, David Fincher's version. Just saying for <laughs> Led Zeppelin. But yeah. Damn uh, good movie. Very God. under overlooked at times, I feel. <laughs> All right. Well, let's hear next from Tom O'Brien. Tom, final thoughts. You know, I, it's been a long time since I've seen a, 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 the popularity of a movie grow strictly through grassroots. Mm. This isn't orchest- not or- orchestrated by a studio. This is just people talking to each other and getting excited about it. A movie that they're discovering on their own. I think it's that sense of discovery that people have. They really hold this movie dear and want to tell people and have the same reaction you have, Matt. I want to show this to people. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's been a long time since, uh, uh, that I really feel like something has really started with the people, and uh, I'm just thrilled to see it. Yeah, because even something like last year of like Drive My Car, that still had a studio behind it, that still had a film festival run, uh, that still had critics pushing it. This is something that does feel even more special than that in a lot of ways uh, because of the fact that hell we're reviewing it, and it's not even in its initial theatrical run, like that came and went a while ago. <laughs> I agree with you. Anything else or? No, we're listening to the people. <laughs> Power to the people. Yep. Nicole Ackman. Okay, here's the thing. Oh, there's a thing? <laughs> oh, there's a yeah, thing. Yeah, there's a thing. This is this very movie, concerning. I am not really fully like equipped to comment on the costuming of a lot of the um, Indian people who are in more traditional dress. Like, from what I know, it looks pretty decently, period. And the men's costuming this is actually, like, pretty decent. Um, although, like, how hard is it to mess up a uniform from that time period? The mm-hmm. so British women's costuming in this genuinely <laughs> might be the worst costuming I've seen in any film of all time. It is mind-boggling. It is it- wrong on every level to the point of every scene that there was a British woman in, it was the only thing I could pay attention to. Um, I literally don't know how you could do something that wrong. Like it's almost like, did they try to do it poorly? I don't know. It is the worst costuming I've seen in my entire life. Um, And I just have like 40,000 questions for them. (laughs) And I don't know if they like ran out of their budget and that's what occurred. No. They were like, let's just go to a prom dress store. I don't know. But um, it was really, 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 really bad. Yeah, I <laughs> there was a moment when in our screening where Matt sort of turned to me and went, yeah, I kind of see what Nicole is talking about with the costumes now. And I was certainly like, I was shocked because it was clear that they weren't kind of going for a Boz Lerman-esque throw a bunch of different periods into a blender and call that our costume style. It was, there were just things that were just wrong. (laughs) And also, like, not even wrong in, like, a fun, cute Bridgerton way. Like, they were wrong and also just looked ugly, so I was very confused. I'm not calling it a defense, but my only explanation I can possibly think of for it because I was trying to figure out if it was deliberate or not, because it does seem like a very easy thing to get right and something that I was genuinely surprised was so wrong. It could maybe be tied to what we were talking about earlier in terms of just robbing the English of all. Okay, but 
My thing is, the costuming that would have looked more correct in this period would have made them look more, mm-hmm. like, prim and... Ridiculous. Um, ridiculous. and Yeah, exactly. But maybe they were going for just a powerless drab look. Even then, like, some of these outfits they have on them, like, part of my issue is that they're wearing, like, very bright colors in some scenes. Yes, especially the uh, outdoor dance party sequence. Oh, my God. Okay, the dress that Jenny is wearing in that with, like, that's that's when I That's when I turned to Dan. I I, I knew right then and there that something was wrong at that point. The fabrics that they're using are wrong. The silhouettes are wrong. The waistlines are wrong. Like She had bare shoulders. The, the hair and makeup is wrong, which, like, bare shoulders could... It's set, I think, technically in the early 1920s. So, like, there are things that I could have forgiven them taking some liberties with. But to put it into perspective, this is meant to be taking place around the same time as the new Downton Abbey film. Yes. If you want to know what they should look like. <laughs> Um, particularly because these are all supposed to be like wealthy women. So it's just literally baffling to me how a movie that is so good in like every other aspect could be so bad in one of its crafts. Um, so like, I just, I just want to talk to whoever made that decision. (laughs) Um, but actually not because I, it would probably just hurt me even more. Um, I would like an explanation, frankly, like (laughs) (laughs) I'd like a written, like, like a a notes app. (laughs) apology for these costumes but no otherwise like everything about it i think is really lovely i do think if you are somewhere that you can see it in a theater even like as someone who didn't see it in the theater but saw it on netflix i would recommend that because it does sound like a better viewing experience whereas i think its length can drag a little bit more if you're watching it at home but otherwise yeah like my biggest gripe is just those costumes yeah i mean I, from a technical standpoint i completely agree with you about those costumes and so much so that you know i noticed it <laughs> yep but it wasn't something that like completely killed like my enjoyment of anything i, I think because the rest of the movie is just firing on all cylinders even the you know as we mentioned before the writing and the acting for uh the white characters in this movie like None of that ever got to a point where I was detracting points. I mean, I did detract points, but like not greatly, you know, Uh, like this movie is not a flawless 10 out of 10 for me as much as I had a good time watching it in the end. But I completely sympathize with what you're getting at here in terms of that, because, yeah, there were moments where I looked over at Dan and I was just like, it it can't be. Nah, oh man. (laughs) I had a lot of commentary during this movie. <laughs> it, let me tell you, like, this is like top 10 all time in theater experiences for me. And and not just Cher. I think I might have to say the same, Dan. I really think I might have to. <laughs> but like the crowd was, and even though like the audience wasn't huge, the, everyone was so into it and so unafraid to be vocal with their appreciation for what they were seeing. Like there were there was cheering, there was applause throughout the movie, like multiple times. There was cheering on introduction shots. Yeah, it was, it's just, it is one of those things that it functions so beautifully as a piece of pop art in addition to just cinema, because I have no other way to describe how it just gets these elemental things right about putting across its story in the most entertaining way possible. I was struck by the character introductions too, because they are so elaborate. I mean, I, 
I'd have to go back to Barbara Streisand and Funny Girl to find character introductions for <laughs> so dramatic. And from what I understand, um, in many audiences, they get big cheers. Yeah. The introductions. Of- oh, yeah. And it's not even like sometimes the introductory like hero shots even. It, it, it's like <laughs> we need a scene where Ram is upset that he didn't get this promotion. Okay, we can just shoot a close up on his face and show that he's upset. No. I want him to punch a hole through the punching bag. I want him to scream with his shirt off. I want to see him hitting the wall. Like, this movie just goes so big with its emotions that even in those moments, the audience was losing their minds and cheering <laughs> because they just loved how... I don't, I don't want to keep saying over the top because it sounds like it's a detriment, but it wasn't. It, it added to the experience that we were experiencing these big heightened emotions with these characters. Yeah, there, was a, there were a number of, I don't want to say cliches, but familiar movie tropes that come in here. That in, an, in a movie that was, would be a little more timid, I would roll my eyes and say, that's terrible. But this the, the courage that's shown here to go all the way and embrace it, it, that it would... It only works because they go so big. I mean, like, I don't know if I particularly like the light comedy between Beam and Jenny all that much because actually it does attempt to be more grounded and small at times. But then when you have Rom, for example, who, without the use of his legs, continues to still do pull-ups in his, like, (laughs) cell, that shit is hilarious to me. (laughs) It's so... Good. I like, like you were saying, Tom, like in lesser hands, you know, you just sort of roll your eyes and go, oh, really? We're doing that? Okay. But Rajamuli goes so all in that every time we got to one of those cliches, I like laughed and clapped because I knew exactly what he was doing. And because they set that tone so solidly at the beginning. I'm just like, yes, yes, give me more. Give me more of it. Yeah. <laughs> it is very interesting to have seen this so close with Top Gun Maverick and seeing how audiences are responding to both movies for what I think are very similar reasons in terms of big screen, big scale entertainment spectacle that you would only get in that kind of setting, but also the very straightforward nature of the storytelling. Yes, in RRR, it's expansive. I get that. But it's an easy to follow story uh, that doesn't necessarily require much from its viewers other than the endurance to last the three hours. Like you don't have to like mentally work hard. I don't think watching this movie. Well, some people will because, oh my God, they have to read it. Oh, heaven forbid. You know, you can always find an English dub somewhere, you lazy bastards. <laughs> and to be fair, like some of the movie is in English. Like it's yeah. not even yeah. fully. So I think for anyone who like, there's anyone listening who does have, you know, concerns about that. Like it's less work than you would expect in a three-hour movie. <laughs> I will never understand yes. people who watch stuff in English with subtitles that complain about foreign movies with subtitles. I will never understand that. Okay, that I truly don't understand. Yeah. I understand if you're not used to using subtitles, um, that it can be a little bit difficult to get used to like reading the subtitles and paying attention to anything other than that. 
but when people like use them on English movies and they're like, but I don't like to watch foreign movies. I'm like, that literally doesn't nope. make sense to me. Not at all. Mm-hmm. You know what does below the mind though? Imagine this in somewhere is someone is watching an English movie with English subtitles and thinking that's a foreign movie. That is very true. I I've seen videos of uh, international audiences like reacting to like the Avengers or things like that. And they have uh, the subtitles like on the bottom. And speaking of which, mm-hmm. I, have you guys seen videos of Indian audiences reacting to RRR in a movie theater? Insane. Holy I crap. Was one of those audiences. <laughs> I was there. I was there. Yeah. I tell you. Really? Yeah. What was that like? Yeah, I was there opening day. Do they do that yeah. for other movies? Yes. Yes, they do. Oh, my God. I love it. I love it. So that's, that's a normal great. thing. Yeah. Jesus Christ. You, you should have been here for, well, this is not a Bollywood movie, but you should have been here for Spider-Man No Way Home. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Hey, you know what? We got we got our fair share of it here in America, so. <laughs> oh, God. It was super loud here, though. <laughs> I'm sure. All right, Tom, any other thoughts? Nope, that that is I I think we have covered so much in this film and there's still more to cover, but I think that uh, it's enough for me. Dan Bear. It's interesting because you know we've mentioned that we got a similar rush watching this too when we were watching Top Gun Maverick, but the movie that I kept comparing it to most in my head from this year was actually not that but everything everywhere all at once. Another great cinematic experience in the theater this exactly. year. Exactly. And because when I saw that movie with a big audience and then again with a smaller audience, but still a full house, half the fun was watching everyone else react to the insanity that was going on on screen. And both of those were fantastic theater experiences, both that movie and this one. And I just like, I love that the we have filmmakers who are going there who are making big bold choices with their movies and trusting the audience to go along with them and i'm so glad that we you know in this first like full year back in theaters that we are getting so many true big screen worthy experiences It just makes me so happy that movies are back. Um, That said, absolutely watch this any way you can. If you are lucky enough to be near a theater that is still showing it, absolutely go. But have a bunch of friends over for a Netflix night. Yeah. If you have to, like, make a drinking game out of it or something because... Oh, there's definitely a drinking game in there somewhere. It is. Oh, my God, yeah. just so much fun and you know like we said earlier you know most american movies could never and i would have gladly sat in that theater for another three hours to watch more of it frankly i remember when we exited the theater we ran into another writer that uh, matt knows i did not and she said that she had already seen the movie but she was, you know, having a week or a day, and she's like, I just wanted to feel something. So I decided to come back and see it again. And absolutely do not blame her one bit. No, I completely agree. I think that it is a kind of energizing shot of adrenaline straight to your heart kind of cinematic work that really can rejuvenate you. 
I really do believe that. Yeah. All right. So I guess for me, just in terms of final thoughts here, uh, there are a couple of moments in this where I definitely thought the slow motion was maybe a tad bit overkill. I, I started to feel it more so in the third act, maybe more so than anything, because by that point, obviously, we're three hours in. And I just thought, OK, this movie has a little too much slow motion, but it was fine. I was I was getting through it all well and good. <laughs> How many arrows do you think Rom has in that final sequence? I truly. <laughs> <laughs> I laughed when they were at the statue and they realized that they were actual arrows in the quiver. <laughs> and then again, when he just like kept pulling them out, like he must have had at least three dozen. I was like, I was like, does he have reserves like laying around somewhere? <laughs> like... It's like the bottom of slimosis. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, the part where Beam finds uh, Bally. And she won't stop screaming and crying. I was like, shut up. You're going to blow his cover. (laughs) What are you doing? Like one of the moments in the film where I like audibly, I I didn't actually scream in the movie theater, but believe me, I really wanted to. It was getting there for me. (laughs) Now we mentioned Rob's backstory and the relationship with his father. And that whole sequence actually is really incredibly shot and edited yeah very very well edited i have to agree with that i think i'm at the end here oh my god this just goes to show you how much i can forgive in a movie and nicole i think you can relate with the costuming yeah when the two characters after being separated for a little bit meet up again and rom has half of his pendant and another half is presented and then they connected to, Ugh. I was like, the fuck is that, a magnet? <laughs> yeah. I was trying to figure out how those two broken pieces formed back together again. <laughs> but it did matter. It's movie magic. I really like that the dialogue about the value of a bullet played into the ending again. Oh, that was that is just good screenwriting. Yep. Anytime you can introduce something in the beginning and bring it back at the end. Classic. It's always great. I love when movies do that. And also, too, the blood stayed over the quote, the sun never sets on the English Empire. That was chef's kiss perfect. <laughs> I have never been in a theater where I think the whole audience was cheering the downfall of the British Empire. But it was a beautiful thing. It reminded me so much in Game of Thrones when they took back Winterfell and the Bolton banner goes down and the House Stark banner like flies in its place. Just... A visual moment that speaks volumes and gets that kind of a reaction from the audience. I loved it. It was it was phenomenal. The director said that he was um, in part inspired by Inglorious Bastards. Oh, okay. With that, and I was like, yes. I totally, I, totally feel I that. Feel that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, I have to say this: the scene where Ram is torturing. Uh, one of Beam's uh, friends and the snake bite moment happens. Oh, so good. My favorite part about that sequence in particular is that Rom has such respect for what that guy just pulled off. He lets him go. Well, and he knows that they're both going to be dead anyway. Yeah, like, but just that idea of like, okay, you got one up on me. Respect. You can go. <laughs> Professional courtesy. Exactly. Yes. 
All right. I think that's uh, I think that's it for me. I think I've commented on everything I really want to say here. In the end, this was a hell of an entertaining film. I had a blast watching it. I actually really do want to now uh, watch the um, I, I hope I'm saying this uh, correctly. Bahubali. Uh, yeah. Part one, part two, the conclusion. You definitely should, especially. Mm-hmm. Yeah, believe, yeah. So you should definitely see that, especially if, because that's that's what pre, uh, was the precursor to this. I feel like that gives you a better sense of like you know kind of the scale that he's been working with this for for quite some time now. So definitely check those out. Yeah, great music in this, great editing, great sound work, uh, cinematography. It, it's not necessarily my style, but they made it work costuming eh, but i forgave in the end uh i forgave a lot with this movie because in the end i can't remember the last time where i literally had a smile on my face from beginning all the way to the end i jumped in my chair at times i put my two hands on my cheeks my mouth was a gape (laughs) dan and i like i mean dan there were moments where i felt like it was just you and me in the theater and i was just like having not not like full-on conversation with you, but I couldn't contain my excitement. I just had to turn to you yeah. at times and be like, the fuck is happening right now? Like, No, and it was the same with me. It was just one of those experiences where you're just like, I freaking love movies so much. Yeah. So going to something that you said before about just see this however you can, whether it's in a theater or on Netflix, I'll say this. If you're going to watch it at home on Netflix – Call a friend. Mm -hmm. Just call a friend. Make it a thing. Have fun. It's so enjoyable. I'm going to give this movie a really extremely strong 8 out of 10. I thoroughly enjoyed the hell out of this movie. And I cannot wait to see some more from this part of the industry that I will, you know, sadly but truthfully admit um, I have not seen that many films from. Nicole, what about you? So I am a strong seven on this. Um, and again, I really do wonder if I'd seen it in the theater, if I would be an eight, because I do think that some of the things that sort of dragged, like the timing on this, maybe wouldn't have affected me in the same way in the theater. And I think some of the special effects might, or, you know, sort of the grandness of it might hit better on a on a bigger screen, not watching it like by myself on Netflix. Um but as it is, I am going to stick with the seven. Dan? The movie, if I'm being honest with myself, the movie itself is probably an eight. But the experience of watching it was a ten. So I'm averaging out that to be a nine. Tom? When I saw it at home on Netflix by myself, it was I almost felt like I was in a theater because I was talking back to the screen for all three hours. <laughs> Are you really doing this? <laughs> and I I've thought about this film every single day since I've seen it. And the, you know, I can't remember the last time that's really happened. Uh, yeah, there's some cheesiness in it, but I, you know, it's good cheese, I gotta say. Uh, I am with you, Matt. I'm giving this a strong eight. Sharia? I gave it a 9.5. In my review, I'm sticking to the 9.5. I, I don't know. It's just, it's it was such a great, fun experience, and, and I'm glad to have had it. And I've seen it uh, thrice now, and I'm, I'm sticking to that. The 0.5 is mostly because I feel like the jump between Act 1 to 2, so that it, it was 
the pacing's ever so slightly quivered a bit, but on repeat viewings, it hasn't bothered me so much. But yeah, I just I, I love this movie. It's one of my favorites of the year, and it's I don't see it getting knocked off that list anytime soon. Should I hit him with it, Dan? Unfortunately, we do not allow point fives on the next best picture okay, grading scale. Nine, nine it is, man. Nine it is. Okay. <laughs> I know, I know. I'm an asshole. <laughs> all right, all right. So, Oscar potential for RRR. I mean, I, I, at one point during the opening sequence with the uh, tiger... I did turn to Dan and I did say, I wonder if this could be like a stealth visual effects play later on in the year. However, the more the film went on, the more I backpedaled on that because I do think that some of the visual effects work is, like I said, a little shaky. Uh, However, there is a world and I don't know if it's going to happen because there might be, you know, maybe a more grounded prestige drama that might come around somewhere uh, to, to, to throne it. But this movie is making so much money, it's getting so much buzz, and people clearly love it. There is a world where India selects this for their submission for Best International Feature. I would absolutely love it if they did. That would be a huge win for um, populist blockbuster filmmaking around the world. And it would then be like, you know... (laughs) on you academy to like nominate the global box office sensation that is one of the best theatrical experiences of the year but if they don't do that with you know things like an avengers endgame then why would they do it for this is the question but then again i could also turn around and be like well they did nominate black Panther, they did nominate avatar yeah they did nominate titanic back in the day so they nominate these things when there is an air, however fabricated it is and however shaky it is, of prestige surrounding the project. The fact that this is based on historical figures may give it just enough to push it over. I mean, combined with just how incredibly entertaining and fun this is. And, you know, the international membership of the academy that has been expanding so much over recent years i mean like you think of academy members like guillermo del toro would probably love this movie oh i guarantee you this is tarantino's favorite movie of the year edgar wright probably loves this movie bong joon ho probably loves this movie yeah i mean there are there are enough um cool uh, in quotes (laughs) people that could see this movie and say yes to voting for it in that category especially now that they don't have the um you know the you have to have seen every movie to vote sort of caveat for that category and those folks are very influential and they could drag some voters along with them that would be amazing i mean stop and think it's been a long time since india figured it all in this race Mm-hmm. They, they, you know, they tend to whenever we can actually see them because so few make it over here. They tend to be quiet, very respectful films, and India may go for that again. You know, may may reflect upon their industry, <laughs> certainly their choice. But if they want to be a player, they need to may need to roll the dice, and this may be a good shot. I don't know. Hey, you know what? France rolled the dice last year with Tatan. 
Yeah. And it didn't work out for them and it may not work out with this. And that's kind of like where I'm leaning at the moment, which is I actually see the selection. If India does select it as the best international feature contender for the year, for me personally, that'll be the win. Because I don't believe it will mm. be nominated uh, at the Oscars if it does get that selection. I, I don't even know if it makes the shortlist, if I'm being honest with you all. I think that would be the the bigger hurdle, yeah, is making the shortlist. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So if it just gets selected, amazing. What an achievement. Awesome. A win for blockbuster filmmaking, like you said, Dan. It would be great. Anything more than that, it's really just... The cherry, the sprinkles, the whipped cream, it, it's literally everything on top. <laughs> I feel like I cannot predict what um, international countries are going to like nominate. Like I I was that person who was like, guys, they're never going to go for uh, <laughs> that. This past year in France, I was like, obviously, they're going to pick something more serious. And then um, we saw what <laughs> happened there. So I have no idea, honestly. I would love to see this, you know, get get chosen and and actually end up maybe getting a nomination. But I, for me, it really does feel like the first hurdle is just, you know, it being the official contender. There's a difference, I think, between how much we're enjoying it and how much an awards committee is going to look at it and be like, okay, here's what we're going to nominate it for. So. I mean, but at the same time, I think that uh, adding up to Tom's point, it's been a long time since India was in an Oscars race at all. Like, I mean, almost 20 years now, I think. Like, I was going to say, was Lagan the last time? I think I think so. I mean, you don't count Slumdog Millionaire, so yes. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> as, much as, as much as people want to. But uh, yeah, the, the fact is that since... Since then, so much else has happened, and I feel like with this sort of resurgence of blockbusters, especially with this kind of epic scale that even that not only is India responding to, the world is responding to so far, I feel like it deserves a fair shot at it. First of all, I think they should submit it. If they don't submit this, and submit this, it's a huge mistake. Hopefully, that's actually the first hurdle, and then after that comes the selection, in my opinion. But it would be nice to see that. Yeah. I think it does have like the sort of like too big to ignore factor going for it right now. Um, and if your job as a selection committee for your country for the Oscars is to showcase your national filmmaking, I mean, this is the most expensive Indian production. I think think it's the highest grossing too no i think it's the third at this point okay so maybe when it maybe it will continue to rise but we'll see but anyway like that that's huge like if you want to support your country's film industry i i don't think there is a choice that would make more sense than this all right well we did it people you can stop flooding my <laughs> inbox now with requests. We have talked about RRR here on the Next Best Picture podcast, and it was a blast. And I thank you all for listening, as always. Uh, Sharia, thank you so much for joining us uh, for this discussion. We really appreciate your insight and perspective. Can you tell everyone that's listening right now where they can find you on the Internet? 
Just thanks for having me, first of all. Huge, incredible honor. Um, you can find me on Twitter under the same name. That's me. And I also have a YouTube channel, which is just my name. Uh, it's, uh, I, I keep it simple that way. And I have reviewed RRR there. So, you know, you can listen to this podcast and you can watch that review. So do that. Excellent. Thank you so much once again. Nicole Ackman, where can they find you on the internet? You can find me on Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd at NicoleAckman16. Tom O'Brien. You can find me on Twitter at Thomas E. O'Brien. Dan Baer. You can find me on Twitter at Dance and Dan on Film. And you can find me at Next Best Picture. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening to the Next Best Picture podcast. We are proud to be part of the Evergreen Podcast Network, and you can subscribe to us anywhere where you subscribe to podcasts. Be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and let us know what you think of the show. We really appreciate your feedback and your support, which you can also lend on over at Patreon. For $1 minimum a month, you will get some exclusive podcast content from us. Thank you so much for listening, as always, and we shall see you all next time. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.